Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Thank you, Pastor Bryson. It is always an honor to step on a stage and be able to present and be clear about what God is saying to us as a people. It is a tremendous uh, honor. And just can we just, just get it out of the way and say just happy Father's Day to the father of this house, Pastor James. Say, amen. I know that he's, uh, he's watching. He's, actually, he's at a seminary uh, actually learning how to become a better pastor. Can you believe that? Like a better preacher. Like, like he said, you're going to preach on Father's Day. I go, oh, no, no. Let's make this clear. I ain't preaching nothing. You preach, I speak, and there's a big difference. <laughs> if you've ever experienced Pastor James, you know exactly what I mean. Ain't going to be no song coming out of me. I'm not dancing. I don't care what he does back there. I'm not doing it. You can just stop, Greg. You're killing me. Okay. As Bryson said, I have been uh, married on Tuesday, June 22nd, on Tuesday, for 30 years to, uh, to uh, stand up, Shelly. Just say hi to everybody. This is my wife, Shelly. I got three of my kids in the front. How you guys doing? Now, I will get this out of the way. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying. There's no way you've been married 30 years because you don't look it. I appreciate that. And when you look at my wife, you really go, what do they do up in Kentucky? Do y'all just marry at 10 years old or something? I mean, what goes on up there? Uh-huh. Sandy, I'm going to love you today. Okay. But we have been married 30 years, five kids, four grand dogs. We don't have any grandchildren yet. I do have my son-in-law too, which I just now call him a son. I used to just call him her husband, but now he's, uh, he's, uh, he's graduated to son-in-law, so it's good. <laughs> uh, you know, there's one thing, some things I've learned. I've been a dad now for uh, 29.5 years. Uh, December it'll be 30 years, but 29.5. I've learned some things. <clears throat> one thing that I've learned is da- all dads are like this. All dads cannot wait for their kids to be old enough to take out the trash. It is a rite of passage. The day that you go, you hear your wife, you know, honey, can you take out the trash? You go, absolutely. Hey, boy, get that trash. (laughs) All dads love that moment because we don't have to do that job anymore. Uh, Then we graduate, you know, back to your kids get older and guess what your job is again? Taking out the trash. It's true. The other thing that I've learned is that, uh, you know, fatherhood is tough. And it's tough because there's no perfect dad. I'm not perfect, close, but not perfect. That just shows you how imperfect I am by even making that statement. But my dad wasn't perfect, his dad wasn't perfect, his dad's dad, his dad's dad's dad. I mean, we can go back in history, and there's never been a perfect dad. We're all full of regret. We're all full of wish we would have done things differently. 
We see our kids grow and f- trying to figure out what the heck am I doing? You know, a little baby cries, you're sitting there going, I mean, there's no blueprint to this. I mean, where's the, how do you deal with this? What, what do they want, you know? It's just difficult. And I find it actually being the thing that I feel that I fail at the most. Uh, and that, again, that's just, I think that's natural. I think men who want to be good dads feel they fail more than they succeed. But what if, dream with me for just a second, what if we were perfect? What if we were the perfect dad? We provided everything that our kids need, not just uh, food, but everything. Everything. We uh, led them righteously. We made no mistakes. We uh, protected them, not just from harm, but we protected their destiny perfectly. And they still rebelled. Now, that'd make me mad. I mean, come, let's be serious. That would be upset that I, I did all that, and then you're going to fail. Are you joking me? But yet, that's what we do every single day to our Heavenly Father. The perfect. I love all these songs. He's never failed. Ever. First service, we, Will, Pastor Will said he's like one million to zero. Like he's won a million times and lost zero. He's, but yet, what is it about us still rebelling? Even though he's proven himself worthy and trustworthy at every step. He's a better father than me because he's not mad at us. In fact, he loves you, even in our failings. You know, the whole taking out the trash thing is because we, I was thinking about it because our sermon series is called Clean House, and I know that that was my job uh, growing up, is that, you know, somebody thought through the process of where that stuff goes. Meaning that, guess what I have to do? All I got to do is take it to the curb. And somehow, when I go back that afternoon and get it, it's empty. Now, I don't know where they took it. I don't want to go there. I'm sure it smells as worse as what I put in it. But there is a process that we don't understand all the time, but we just know that it happens. And God's the same way. There's a process that he has put in place for us to become more like him that allows us to get rid of the things inside of us that don't look like him. And we're going to look at this process. Last week, uh, Carlos, Pastor Carlos, he spoke on um, idols and getting rid of the idols that, that are in our life. And remember, he brought up the comic book. If you were here, he brought up that he... One of his idols growing up was comic books because that was his escape. And he had this great collection. He collected, and I was listening to him, and I tell you, I felt really bad for him because I, too, have comic books, and I have a great collection. Shelly will tell you. I've had them in a box in cardboard and plastic since I was a kid. They're still in my garage. So I, I did, I just want you to know what kind of guy that I am. I prayed, God, do you want me to give my comic books to Carlos? (laughs) 
He said, nah. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Got out of that. But I want you to know that I did ask. I want you to know. Carlos was here first service. He was, I could see him get so excited when I was telling this story. He thought he was going to get something at the end. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint him so, so greatly. Uh, but he talked about uh, Isaiah 2. I'm going to talk about Isaiah 4 today. That's where we're going to be in Scripture. And let me say something about the Old Testament really quick. A lot of times we feel that we're disconnected from it because, man, that happened thousands of years ago. So what does it have anything to do with my life now? But yet, it's, the Old Testament really has a lot of significant stories in it and things that happen that guides us, mentors us. It's like, I, I look at the Old Testament like having the, the, the elders in the church. They've been there, they've done that, they understand things to do, they understand what things not to do. And they, it just acts as a guide, and they, a good elder will point you not to him, but to Christ. And that's what the Old Testament does. And that's why sometimes we go back to and go, what can we learn? Because how many know that God is consistent, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament? He doesn't change just because the old and the new change words. He stayed the same. So just, again, we're going to be in Isaiah 4. But to give you some backdrop super quick... Uh, between Isaiah 2, which Pastor Carlos did, and chapter 4, where I'm going to be, is chapter 3 really tells the story of what happens to a people when their leaders lead them astray, and they don't follow God's commands. And here's what happens. It says that God went in to Jerusalem, and he was going to take away their supply and their support because they were not following his commands. Here's what, here's what they were going to be taking away. They were going to be taking away the basic necessities of life, which is food and water. And again, please think in the context of thousands of years ago, we go to a tap to get water. They had to go to a well. So this is, this is about living life and death. Okay, every single day. But their food and water were taken away. Their leadership, their judges, their prophets, their civil authorities, the elders of the city, their protection was going to be taken away, meaning their warriors, their men, their generals. If you go back, all that taken away because they would not follow God's command. Here's the vacuum that it left. See if this sounds familiar to you. They had incompetent, inexperienced leaders that the people did not respect. Cynicism and criticism were common attitudes. Just go to social media if you need to know what that sounds like. People treated each other harshly. They were a lack of respect for each other. Their elderly had been marginalized. Their poor had been mistreated, and they boasted of their sin, meaning it says this, that like Sodom. So the immorality, they boasted even in their immorality, and this was fascinating to me. They were dominated by debt. Sound familiar? When I was reading it, I didn't know, is this, I mean, is this Jerusalem or is this America? Because there's nothing new under the sun. 
And it's all cyclical. It's going to come back around. We're going to get the same, the same effect when we don't do what God commands. Brought, they, actually, they, they brought their own disaster upon themselves because they sowed seeds and now they have to eat the fruit. How many know that Galatians is true? What you sow is what you're going to eat. If you don't do the commands, if you don't follow the commands, guess what they'll become? It says Jerusalem stumbled, meaning that they, with the commandments that were meant there to guide them and to protect them became a stumbling block. And that's what happens. The very commands became a stumbling block to Jerusalem, and they become a stumbling block to us. Another thing that it says at the end of the, at the, end of the chapter, it, may, it says that seven women, th- that the men went to war, and most of the men were killed, leaving a seven-to-one ratio. Seven women for every one man. Now, men, before you perk up and go, choice, let me just say that back then, that it was, marriage was a necessary for the sustaining of the, of, the, of the women, okay? It was the man's job to take care of the wife completely. So, and again, remember, water every day, food every day. They didn't have Kroger or Publix, okay? It was, it was a, a very difficult job to be, to provide, and so they needed husbands, and it was God's plan to that's one of the reasons for God's plan for marriage. So seven women to one. They were so destitute, though, that they said, we will, have, we will provide for ourselves if you'll just give us your name. So marry me a name only to keep me from the shame of being widowed. Because back then it was a shame to be a widow. So I'll provide. I'll do all the work. Just give me your name. It was really their attempt to trust in man again. Instead of saying, God, you've always proven you're a provider. You've always proven that you're a protector. You've always led us. So we're going to trust in you. No, just, just give me your name, God, but I'm not going to follow what you asked me to do. Today, we're in another war, gentlemen. We're in a war, a spiritual war. The men are being taken out left and right the casualties of a spiritual warfare. What do I mean by that? There's such a lack of personal responsibility. Now, let me say this super quick. One thing I love about Bethel, one thing I love about being a men's pastor, one thing I love about speaking um, really all over the world about the the issues that men face is that we believe here that you will never, ever, ever, condemn a man to greatness. So anything I say today is not condemnation. However, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is an interesting thing because something will be said, it'll convict you, and you'll immediately say, quit condemning me, quit judging me. And it was actually the Holy Spirit going, hey, knucklehead, you, you, you need to take care of that. So let's don't get the two confused today. It is not my goal okay, to condemn anybody. Secondly, women are not our enemy. The enemy is within us. And it's, we, today we, we see a lot of uh, blaming. Of course, that started back in the beginning. A lot of blaming. We hear a lot of things about 
women's rights. And look, my daughter, Hallie, here, she, I hope that there's no, I don't want a woman to be president at all because my daughter wants to be the first one. So please, helpabrother.com and don't vote for any woman until she runs. Okay, there you go. I know I scared y'all from it, didn't I? Y'all going, where is she going with this one? <laughs> women are not, a, I, women's success is, not a, is, is nothing against us as men. It's not taking away anything. I've heard it say they're not taking anything that we've not abdicated. So I just want to be super clear about that. But look at the war that's going on today and the men that we're losing spiritually. Men are, 70% of men have some sort of sexual struggle from what they look at to what they do and everything in between. That is a statistic, by the way, of men in the church. That's not men in the world. That's men in the church. We're in a spiritual battle and we're losing it. Pride is at an all-time high. What about anger? Lust, immorality, laziness, something I cannot stand. It's laziness, a sluggard. Mental, mental weak. The other thing, too, the term that we hear a lot, toxic masculinity. How many have ever heard that? Now, let me just give you a little hint. When the world says toxic masculinity, what they're saying is masculinity is toxic at its core. Now, we know that's not true because God's not toxic. But what it does mean is that men have toxic behaviors. So do women. So do children. So does my little dog. Everybody's got toxic behaviors. Can we just agree on that? But there is definitely a war because that creates an identity crisis in men. If I'm toxic at my core, then what hope do I have? Fatherlessness. It's an all-time high. Listen to this. One in four children tonight will go to bed without a biological, a foster, step, adoptive dad. One out of four. Most social ills can be uh, associated with the fatherless, I would say, epidemic. Some would disagree with that, but I would definitely say it. This doesn't account for, by the way, fathers that are present, but their presence is not there. Could it be that we as a country and we as a people have forgotten his commandments? Are we like chapter three? Are we a people that have said, God, I want your name only, but I'll provide for myself. I'll protect myself. I'll lead myself. Could it be that that's where we are? We're going to pick up the story here in chapter four because whenever there's darkness, there's always hope that follows. Chapter three is bad. It's what's going to happen. You're being judged. But it also says in chapter, there's this little bitty verse that says, but those who endure to the end, this is what's going to happen in chapter four. So when you endure, this is what you get. 
I'm going to read it in its entirety. Chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. It says, In the day the branch of the Lord would be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land would be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth and of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. This is a great verse. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over all of those who assemble, there are a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy and it will shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and the rain. Now, if we look at verse two, super quick, here's what it says, in that day. Usually in the Old Testament, you see in that day, that means judgment is coming. There's a judgment pending. But in this verse, in this day, means all vindication is coming. Why? Because in that day, a branch of the Lord. Branch of the Lord is actually a metaphor for Christ. So guess what? In that day when you endure, you get Christ. And when you get Christ, you get all the beauty and all the glory, the fruit of the land, the glory, for, those, for the survivors in Israel. Survivors meaning those who endured till the end, who did not give up. How many ever feel like giving up? Every day I feel like giving up on something. But those who endure to the end. Verse 3 and 4 says, those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. How many, would be, how many want to be called holy? All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Those left in Zion simply is those who endure to the end. And those who are set apart for God's purpose. All that recorded. Ever heard of the Lamb's Book of Life? It's a, it's, a, it's a sign that who is recorded in that book, this is what you get. Now, it also says the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. Now, let me pause right there. Do, do, sorry, I speak at so many men's things, I call people dudes. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Guys, we cannot take this verse. Don't be the, one, the person who take, does one verse theology. Okay? Because you would be wrong in saying that God means women only. This means all of Jerusalem. So you can't go, that woman you gave me, you, don't do that. It ain't her fault. Okay? I'm not even going to get into fault in this message because I will take a train and we will end up somewhere else. Okay. Spirit of judgment. When it says a spirit of judgment, a spirit of fire. I love what Pastor Rice says sometimes a spirit of fire. I don't really understand that, but it doesn't sound good, right? I don't want nothing to do with the spirit of fire, but the spirit of judgment, what does that mean? All that means is a purification process. That's all it means. Spirit of judgment. I mean, I'm going to, there's a process of purification. It's not an event. I mean, wish it were an event. I mean, I get to go through purification one time, great concert, hallelujah, let's go, and I'm done. No, it's a process 
every single day. And then lastly, in verse uh, six, it says, my favorite verse of the, of the whole chapter, then the Lord would create all of Mount Zion and over those who assembled there, a cloud of smoke by day and fire by night. Does that sound familiar? It's what he did for the, Israel, the, the people of Israel who came out of captivity. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and rain. You know the overarching theme of this whole chapter is that God is going to be present. He's going to be with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to lead you, and he's going to protect you as long as you endure till the end. That's a great promise. I mean, as a dad, uh, probably to, and my kids will tell you this, is if I had to choose one of those three, provider, leader, or protector, I'm probably more a protector than anything. You can ask my son-in-law. I pretty much threatened his life whenever he started dating my daughter, <laughs> right? Because there's this, as a dad, you're just like, I mean, I've spent a lot of money on her in her lifetime. And now, and now you're coming in and acting like, oh, no, this is not happening like this. But I just, I say that to say I can sense that God's just like that. It's like, you're not messing with my kids. What? No, no, I'm going to judge you, but those who endure, I'm giving them all this. In fact, what he's saying is, I'll be their dad. I'll be their heavenly father. We look, we look back, if we, if we look at just a few people like Adam, God's always been the provider, the leader, the, provi- the, the protector. Think about Adam. Remember I said at the beginning, if you were perfect, so this should give you hope, parents. God was the perfect parent. Perfect. Gave, gave Adam uh, the perfect place to live, provided everything that they needed. They lacked, led them by telling them what to do and what not to do. I mean, no, that's leadership. But yet, what Adam do? Because he thought he could come up with a better plan than what God had come up, had come up with, he didn't listen and he didn't obey God's commands. And he was ousted. Look at Abraham. Abraham, the, the, the father of our faith, is, he, he said, that it said. You know, the story is that, that God asked him to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and sacrifice. If you know your Bible, you know that story. And then at the, at the very last moment, there was a ram in the thicket. Now, what you may not know is it was not uncommon in those days. How many know there was hundreds of gods back then? Okay? We read the Bible and don't think, oh, there's just one God. No, no, there was hundreds of gods that people worshipped. And it was not uncommon for those gods to ask for the sacrifice of their children. That's not uncommon. So it wasn't uncommon for God to ask Abraham that. It wasn't out of the ordinary, so to speak. What was uncommon was that, that God would step in and go, I'll replace your son with another sacrifice. And I think that he did that to show Abraham one thing. This is how a loving father acts. 
because I'm about to make you a father of many nations. And you need to know this, that I am your protector. I am your leader. I am your provider. And because of that, you can become a, provi- a protector, a provider, a leader, and a, pro- and a provider. He was showing Abraham. Look at Jesus. We affectionately call him our big brother. Big brother's coming to town. It's not going to be good for you. Jesus, even knowing the Father, when he was with his disciples, said, you should pray like this. Because how many know God is consistent? He never changes. And so Jesus knew because he, he made statements, some bold statements, like, I and my Father are one. I don't do anything outside of what I see my Father doing. I say what my Father says. I mean, he was making some bold statements back then. So of all, he knew. Why did he say that? Because he knew the Father. So when he said, here's how you pray, do you think he knew how to pray to his dad? He, and he knew exactly what to ask for. Let's look at this. Now, if you should, every, every man in here that played sports has got to know this by heart because we used to say this before every single game. And then we go out and hurt people. So, okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against, or as we forgive our debtors. Sorry, as another version. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And may we win the game. Rah. Okay. That's how we did it. I mean, it's a little bit more boisterous than that. So look at this prayer just super quick, and let's see what Jesus is telling us that we should ask for. Because the scripture before this, it says, when you pray, pray to your father because he knows what you need. So this is what we need. Verse 1, I mean, verse 9 says, our father in heaven. He's establishing, is he your father? If he's not, in your, if he's not your father, just stop right there. No need to pray anymore. You have to know in your heart that it's our father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Your will be done, not my will. As, it, as in heaven, so on earth, my God. May, may it be, God, your will. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide our daily needs. Pretty basic. It also says, uh, forget, and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Here's a thing that I think that we slip over every now and then. Provide not just our sustenance to survive, but provide forgiveness. Father, forgive me so that I know how to even forgive. How do you know even how to forgive unless you see your father do it? Some of us need to forgive. Some of us are sitting in unforgiveness right now. Whether that be your father on Father's Day, like maybe you don't have the best relationship. Maybe you don't have a relationship at all. Maybe you passed away. Maybe you need to forgive your father, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, your coach, your cousin, somebody that is keeping you tethered to an event in your past. Maybe it's a child you need to, maybe you're mad at a child for being wayward. Maybe you're, maybe you're mad at an ex 
and you just can't seem to work it out. Maybe, just maybe, you're mad at God as if he did something wrong. Simply because he didn't answer a prayer like you thought he should answer. Why didn't you heal that person? You must not love me. Why didn't you do this? You must not care for me. And we just have proven that God doesn't change ever. And what he's doing, he's protecting us. Protecting us not from harm, but our purpose. Christ taught us to, to pray this way because he just knew, he simply knew who the, who the Father was. And he knows how we should pray because he knows what we need. Now, if the sons and daughters, if the sons and daughters, ask sons and daughters that we need this, we need to know how to pray so why? So that we can show our kids how to pray. This is what you ask for. But where do we start? Where do we start in this process? I think we look at the children of Israel, a real short story. You know, the children of Israel were in slavery for 400 years. And, you know, when you're in slavery, slavery is not a nine-to-five job. Okay? It completely destroys the family unit. The mom and dad are no longer together. The kids are, I mean, just imagine if you can. There's no family unit left. And when, when they came out of captivity, when God led them out through Moses, here's the thing that he did. First, one of the first things that he said, let's establish Passover again. Passover was just simply a celebration of who God is. And it's, it, it's, it's doing two things. It's one, it's reestablishing that God is their father. Our father who art in heaven. You're our father. Let's establish that. The second thing it established was because the father of the home is the one who administered Passover. It established him as the father of that home. So established God as the father of the people and established the, the dad, the father of his family. Those two things is what it reestablished. So where do we start? I think that we need to make sure that we establish God as our father, and men, we establish that we are the leaders of our home. We are the fathers. It doesn't matter if you're divorced, married. It doesn't matter. You, you can be a leader and a father without a ring on your finger. It also established that God, the father, and the father of the home, again, would become the protector, leader, and provider. Secondly, where do we start, or how do we start? Uh, there's a famous coach, Vince Lombardi, for you football fans out there. He was the uh, first coach of the Green Bay Packers. <clears throat> whom I despise. So my best friend is a cheese head, and I just I can't hardly take it. Uh, but he was a famous coach. Uh, in fact, the trophy, the, the Super Bowl trophy, is called the Vince Lombardi Trophy. And every year, now think about this, every year he pros would come in. First day at camp. Now they've played high school football, they played college football. How many know they know what a football looks like? 
But he would take a football and hold it up and go, gentlemen, this is a football. So simple. But he would explain again, this is what we do with this football. So how do we start? When you came in here, this is your gift from us. This is New Testament. Where do we start? Gentlemen, this is a Bible. This is the plan. This is the starting point. If you want to be a good son, read this Bible. If you want to be a good father, read the Bible. Why? Because it points us to the Father. Then we can imitate what this scripture says. And what it does is when we start reading this, every day, say every day, every day. Why? Because I need to know the plan every single day. Bryson alluded to it. I used to be a home builder. We built massive homes. And guess what? We had a plan table on the job site. You know why? Because I need to look at that plan multiple times a day to make sure that I was building according to that plan. Because if I built according to the plan, then it would look like the architect dreamed about it. Trust me, God is not looking for any more architects. He doesn't need people to dream about his vision. What he needs is builders that will actually do it. That will actually build it. So this is your starting point. We always say there's not a perfect plan. There's not a perfect house plan, by the way. But there is a perfect plan when it comes to life. And this is it. Now, gentlemen, we didn't get you a nice leather Bible with your name on it, because this is what you do. You go, that is so nice. I'm not even going to touch that. That's just nice. Put it on our table, put it on our desk. Like, everybody look at my new Bible. It's so nice. No, no, no. We, we got you a really inexpensive Bible, so you can, you can write in this. You can carry it in your Bible. I don't care if you fold it, put it in your pocket. But take the plan with you every single day. And I promise you that your life will start to look like what the architect wants. It also, by doing this, when we start reading this, and this, this book is so full of promises and so full of things that we get and the things that God provides, it actually makes us, our response is, maybe, just maybe, I need to start taking out the trash in my own soul. Because of what he's done, my response has got to be, how can I get rid of this stuff that don't look like you? How can, I, how can I become more like him? Because my family's dependent upon me being like him. And guess what? He's already got a process for you. You know how when we take out our trash, we take it to the curb and we come back the next, you know, and it's gone? He's got a process for you. It's called Christ. And that part of, part of the process of Christ is confessing. Guess what? You know when you take out your garbage, you know everybody knows you've got garbage in your house. You ever thought about that? I mean, you're happy when you take out your neighbors, you're waving, hey, how you doing? Everybody taking out the trash the same day, just, how you doing? Nobody's ashamed of their trash. Why then are we feel so ashamed that it keeps us from back here going, you know what? I don't want to tell anybody that I got trash in my life. We all got trash. I got trash. I mean, not much, but <laughs> just look, I've been on vacation for the last couple of weeks. I had one of the worst moments as a dad in my life yelling at my daughter, angry, 
I had to go and apologize. We all got trash. Nobody's perfect. Process of God, help me. Let me read this and become more like this. Lord, I'm not this way, but I want to be this way. I want to be the provider. I want to be the leader of my home. I want to be the protector that I know that I can be. Jesus knew that we needed it, and that's why he asked us to pray it. Just like in Isaiah 4 again, really God was saying those things. I am your protector. I am your provider. I am your leader. And dads, that's what we're to do. And let me say this. If you're not a dad in here, you don't get out of this. In fact, I want you to have one of these too. Because here's the thing. When you read this and you become more like the father, it means you become a better son. And when you become a son that looks like the father, when you become a father, you're way ahead of the game. So learn how to be a good son, and you'll be an incredible dad. Not that you won't make mistakes, but you'll just make less of them. Because of this right here. This right here. Could you stand with me? As I close, I want to make, allude back to a very important part of, this, of, the, of the chapter Remember, the reward goes to those who endure. Those who don't give up. Those who don't quit. I've been married, again, 30 years on Tuesday. I keep saying that to remind myself. But it wasn't like it was easy. Any of you who have been married more than a week know that it can be difficult. But you know, I tried real hard the first 13 years of our marriage for us not to make it to 14. I tried real hard. I was terrible. I was a terrible husband, terrible dad, terrible. But yet, my wife, something in her said, I'm going to stick with this knucklehead. And she endured things that I don't wish on any woman. But yet, the reward, great marriage. We got issues, but man, we just overcome them so quick. Great kids, love my family. I was destined to be a weekend dad. I was destined not to be married. I, I, I'm telling you, I worked very difficult, I worked hard. But yet when we endure to the end, when we say, God, no matter how it looks, no matter, no matter how desperate I get, I'm, I'm going to dig into this, and I'm going to read your promises, and I'm going to become more like you every single day because my life depends on it, and so does everybody's that I lead. If we do that, dads, we may not be perfect, but at least we can lead them to the one that is. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for being the ultimate, the perfect father.
Thank you, God, that we, we don't always have to look at our dads, Lord, and say, because my dad or because my father was imperfect, then God must be imperfect. Lord, we have that backwards. You are the perfect father, and we know that we're not going to be. Lord, let us not be like the people that you never failed, yet they rejected your commandments and your ways of doing things. Lord, let us be a people that reads your word, does what it says so that we can build a life according to the plan that you have set before us, that we become more and more and more like you, the perfect Father.